Welcome to Served Neat, hosted by your girl, Jen Hartman. I'm the CEO of Neat, a boutique PR and marketing agency based out of Louisville, Kentucky. I launched Neat in 2019 with just $3,000 in my bank account. Since then, I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of emerging brands and Fortune 500 empires. I believe that marketing and PR should be served neat, just like your favorite bourbon. On this podcast, you'll hear about the latest and greatest growth strategies, the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, and so much more. Pour yourself a glass of your favorite bourbon because it's time to dive in to this week's episode. recently sat down with Yuki and Noah from Pluffle, the world's first dog bed for humans. The Pluffle was designed to maximize comfort and foster a sense of security, delivering the ultimate relief from stress, anxiety, and exhaustion. Knowing Yuki invented the product while they were still in college, they were tired college students who realized that there weren't a lot of comfortable napping spots around campus. You may have seen Yuki and Noah in one of their viral videos on TikTok or in this season of Shark Tank. In today's episode, they share more about Shark Tank and what viewers didn't get to see, what it's like to run a company with your best friend, costly mistakes, imposter syndrome, and so much more. P.S. We recorded this interview at a coffee shop since Noah and Yuki were visiting Louisville, so I apologize for any background noise. All right, let's get into it. Hey guys, what's up? I have Yuki and Noah with me today from Fluffle, and I'm so excited to chat with them. We're just going to get right into it. So they created a dog bed for humans, which is super cool. If you guys saw them on Shark Tank, if not, go back and check that episode out. I'm super curious, where did this idea come from? So Noah here, co-founder of Fluffle. So when I was in university, actually, I worked as a barista at a coffee shop, had a giant Great Dane, the owners had one, that had a giant customizable dog bed. And whenever I was working, making coffee, making pastries, all that, I would always see how comfortable it looked napping and would, and would get kind of jealous. So one day during a long shift, you know, after lots of classes, probably in the middle of finals or something like that, I looked at this dog and found myself really jealous and realized that I wanted one for myself. So called up Yuki, loved the idea. He was totally on board and we set to work from there. I love it. That's amazing. So you guys launched a pretty successful Kickstarter earlier this year. Give us your best Kickstarter tips and tricks. And I'm asking this selfishly because I'm launching a Kickstarter in the spring and I just want to like pick your brains. So for one, definitely work on building a really strong email list before the campaign so that people are amped see your campaign launch and ready on day one to blow it out of the water because that day one is really, really important. We met our Kickstarter goal in the first hour. So because of that, we were trending on Kickstarter. We're on like the front page of Kickstarter. They were like showing our product. And because of that, we got even more eyeballs and like people didn't learn about our product. Around like 35% of our revenue or backing came from people who found us through Kickstarter. So that can be really, really important. Kind of like how it's similar to Amazon where you have to rank. Kickstarter has a really similar algorithm. So that's something that's really, really important. But for us, what really I think made or break our campaign, other than all the hype and all this, so the virality we had before was our video. A lot of people don't know this, but we had a video that we were about to launch two weeks before. It was made on an iPhone. It was just Noah and I walking throughout school and office, just talking about our product without actually showing our product. And it was not at all professional. We thought it didn't matter. We thought if we had good pictures, we thought we had a good campaign itself, the video wouldn't matter. But on the very day of when we were supposed to launch, we 
pretty much pulled the plug because we kind of came to this realization that the video was just not good enough. And we showed it to people that would actually purchase. And they were just like, I would not purchase because of this video. Totally like delayed the campaign last minute, two weeks, told everyone on our email list, hey, we're launching two weeks. Everyone was like really upset. We've been waiting. We wanted to purchase. And then we refilmed the video, re-uploaded it. And thank God, because that video was used for press outlets. And they used that clips from that video, news and stuff like that. And it was overall just like kind of propelled us to the next stage and made us more legitimate when in reality we hadn't pretty much no idea what we we're doing at that point. So I think another thing to touch on, I definitely want to highlight that video component, but I would say in addition to showing your product and what you're featured, I would say it's really important to also highlight the story of the product and where it came from in your video and in your materials. Because the people on Kickstarter are really backing you at the earliest stage. And they're going to be backing you with uncertainty of when they're getting it, sometimes even if they're getting it. So you really want to have them feel a personal connection and attachment, not just to your product, but to you as like founders and into what you're building. So I would say that's a, something really important and crucial as well. And have a really good hook. Like the first 10 seconds of your video is really important. Wow. Okay. Some great tips and tricks. I'm going to get nosy and ask another question related to the Kickstarter. You guys didn't just pop up on Kickstarter one day and you're like, I'm here, right? You had email marketing. I'm sure you guys were on TikTok. What did that timeline leading up to the Kickstarter look like? And what kind of marketing were you doing outside of email marketing? So it's kind of funny, actually. We'd always had the idea in our head, oh, we're going to launch a Kickstarter one day. Like that's the perfect way to kind of launch this product. But we never really had a set date or moment in time that we were going to do it. It happened when we joined TikTok one day just to start putting ourselves out there. And then a week later, we went absolutely viral. We, we got like 10 million views, drove our email list well over 10,000. That moment in time, we knew we had captured a really special momentum with our product. So that was kind of like a turn point where it clicks like, okay, we need to launch our Kickstarter now. So we spent two or three weeks, I would say about that, just doing everything it took to get it up and running. It was really when we had that spark and that initial sense, there's real momentum behind this. It wasn't like a long thought out kind of intentional, okay, mid-April is when we're going to launch this. Is when we really saw like the passion and the excitement that people had that we wanted to capitalize off of. And I think that was really important because a lot of people like overthink the launch of their campaign. Uh, when the moment is right, the moment is right. And I think if we had launched a month later, a lot of the interest and hype would have died down. And the fact that we even delayed it, we were going to launch it, I think a week after our viral TikTok. We had the entire campaign ready to go. We had all the graphics ready, literally made the entire campaign like three days, push it back because of the video. But that was the fastest we could possibly push the start of our campaign. And we were still students at this point. So we had dropped everything, dropped our final thesis, dropped any studying just to work on this campaign because we knew we had something special and we knew that we had to act quickly to capture all the momentum. Very cool. Thank you so much for sharing. So like I mentioned, most people saw you on this season of Shark Tank. What was that experience like? And what did viewers not see? Because I know that they cut some things out. The viewers only see five minutes of your pitch. So give us the tea. Yeah. So Shark Tank was pretty crazy. I mean, at least for me, I grew up watching the show. So to actually be in the tank, it felt a little bit surreal. I didn't kind of have to pinch myself. I'm really here right now. And I think I sort of blacked out halfway through. I don't really remember exactly what went down. It was funny because when I was watching the episode replayed and it's like, oh, that happened. No, I, I forgot when that happened. But otherwise it was a lot of preparation. They reached out to us in May and we've been talking to the producers since like July. We had a lot of prep into our pitch, into the, all the logistics, all their set. Everything takes a lot of time. And even to this day, it's just me and Noah. So we had to spend a lot of time I'm sort of preparing for it, every little aspect of it. And Noah can talk about what, 10 minutes before a pitch when our pluffles weren't ready. So one thing, hold on you 
doing this before. So when we went on the show, we didn't actually have a final version of our product yet. We were still in the last prototyping stages, working that through with our manufacturer. So we told them, hey, we need to send three or so models for the show. They sent them. They arrived about three days before and they were all wrong. Parts didn't fit together right. They must have been tweaking with some new different design. But we cannot bring this on TV. We can't bring this one of the sharks. This looks terrible. So we spent the two days before we were there reshaping and building new bolsters, going to foam shops and trying to fix it. And the one we brought on was actually three different manufacturers and different parts all kind of assembled into one. So we had to ship all the parts separately, some straight from our manufacturer, some from Seattle. And so 10 minutes before the show, we had to furiously assemble these pluffles that we never made before because they were not a mishmash. They were just different components from different areas. And so we were sweating and we were really stressed. And so we actually had to get our armpits almost dried out a little bit because from the heat and we were in LA, it was the summer and throwing these bolsters in and putting together. And in the end, they looked great and they looked great on the show and the sharks absolutely loved it. But it was a moment of high stress in the days and even the minutes leading up to the show, not fully knowing if we were going to have a product that looked good and we were proud of. Yeah, not just that. It's really tight. They only give you 15 minutes to get ready. And that was pushing it because like they have a really tight schedule, how many pitches they have in a day and 15 minutes in our stuff still wasn't assembled. So they granted us five more emergency minutes, but they were like, we need to go. We need to go. Product's not ready. Just bring one. They were just like crushing us. And we were just like really, really anxious because if we don't get these assembled, we can't pitch or our pitch is going to look really bad. So ended up working out, but it was really, really stressful. That sounds so stressful. I can't even imagine going through that. Okay. So you guys had a dog in your pitch. Was it your dog? Where did you guys find this dog and how did you train the dog? I need to know. So our initial plan was to actually get a Hollywood actor dog for the show, but the cost was insane. I think it was $2,000 plus to have the dog for 30 seconds because they have minimum training hours. And all we need to have the dog do is sit in its bed for about one minute, but it required eight hours minimum training for that. Something absolutely ridiculous. So we reached out to our producers. We were like, we all honestly can't really afford this. Can we think of something else? Okay, let me see what we can do. Let me talk to the, the people up top. So we actually had, I think it was like the head producer, like the executive producers, one of the top guys on Shark Tank, his family dog came in, Kipper, and he was absolutely adorable. One of the cutest dogs ever, but I would not necessarily say he was trained or well-behaved. Great dog. He actually threw up on the rug right before we were about to go pitch. They've been feeding it so many treats to calm it down. It had 50 treats or something like that. It was just an hour or two while they were prepping. So it was so full when we were ready to pitch. It was really funny. Yeah, so it threw up. And then it's one job, which was just to sit in its dog bed. Because we were supposed to cite it as like, oh, look how comfortable Kipper is, like in his cozy dog bed. He just got up immediately once he started pitching and walked away. They stitched it together to make it seem like the dog was there. Kipper just wasn't there. I was just staring at an empty dog bed. And I had no idea where the dog was. And all the sharks were like giggling while we were pitching. They weren't even focused on us because Kipper was just running circles around the tank, like going in and out. So that was kind of a variable that we had not accounted for. Then. And it's, it's pretty funny. If you've seen the episode, you see there's a point where Yuki actually goes in and kind of tries out the pluffle. And this is in our pitch, our initial demonstration. And you see Kipper actually comes back and is kind of sniffing the bed and kind of nodding at it and checking it out. But Yuki just had no idea. Just so focused on doing your lines and like going through the routine. We thought Kipper just got up and left, but he was just chilling. And so it wasn't until we actually watched the episode we we're like, wait, Kipper came back. He was like hanging out. Like he was over by the bed too. It was pretty funny to see that. That's hilarious. I mean, I know you guys can't see me right now, but I was over here like shedding tears because I was laughing so hard about the dog. 
All right. We're going to switch topics just a little bit and talk about mindset. So you guys are pretty young founders. You're in your early twenties, your recent college grads. Do you ever experience imposter syndrome? If so, how do you deal with it? Yeah, kind of similar. I think Noah and I, when we came here to Kentucky, we had this moment where we had a little bit of time because we're waiting for our units. And so far our experience just has been super go, 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 go. But we had a moment just to reflect on everything that has happened and everything to come. We definitely felt pretty overwhelmed. Never had the time to sit down and think about it. And it's really easy, especially with like social media, like LinkedIn, everything to compare yourself. It seems like other DTC founders have like crazy boards, crazy teams, crazy funding. And we're here just like two recent grads, not a lot of funding, just small team doing it ourselves. And at times it can definitely feel lonely and the path ahead of us seems really long. So that can be really, really challenging. And that has been challenging for us at times. But I think we try to use it to our strength that we're young. And I think this space is so rapidly evolving. And even we didn't know how to use TikTok when we first started, but we've been able to learn because we're young. We have friends that use TikTok and we're able to really adapt and absorb everything that's going on. Try to find sort of our weaknesses in a sense, find strengths in them. And that's the way we've been working around that so far. But I'm sure Noah has a lot more to say about that. I think one thing we really appreciated as we've started growing this business, especially meeting other founders and entrepreneurs, I think there's a really good sense of kind of acknowledging, maybe less so publicly, but definitely like within communities and like when you're meeting with people, kind of the downfalls and the mistakes and all of the errors that everyone's making, regardless of where you're at in your stage in your life and your career. And we've met people that are 10 years older than us that have had very illustrious professional careers before doing this, that have shared openly some of the pretty serious mistakes they've made. And I think meeting other people and just being open about that has really helped us. Just hearing people be honest and genuine because it is hard. We don't have much professional experience under our belt and much of a professional network. I think we know a lot of other founders who have done stuff before and they've been able to enter their business with kind of a backing and support and not having that has definitely been hard. But I think just working really hard to build our own network now has been really instrumental in helping us feel more confident and just really excited and, and better about the challenges that go along our way. You guys kind of touched on this, Well, you touched on it for like a second, but failure. I mean, I have made a lot of mistakes. I have wasted tens of thousands of dollars. I've made bad hires. I mean, we talked about this the other day when we got coffee, but have you guys made any mistakes so far? Anything that you're willing to share? We might make a TikTok about this, but we made like a ten dollars to $15,000 mistake pretty recently. So our box is a certain size. It's pretty big. You know, Puffle is pretty big. And the box is about two inches over the oversized charge limit. We didn't know this until all the boxes were made and they were already on route from our manufacturer. And what that happens is then it's a $10 extra per charge per box. And also with holiday season right now, it's a, there's another $10 extra per charge per box. So... Our charges for our crowdfunding run were so much more expensive. They're about like $50 per unit. So we decided to just subsidize like our mistakes and the extra holiday charges because, you know, we have estimated a certain rate and it was kind of off, but that definitely cost us quite a lot of money that could have been avoided. But that's just one mistake. I'm sure there's more. One thing that kind of comes to mind is, I don't know if this is a mistake thing, maybe like a bit of advice almost is, I think when you have a sense of something that's the right thing to do, just act on it and not necessarily like sit around and twiddle your thumbs and overthinking. I think part of the reason we're here is because we had sort of an option to switch our container transport from rail to truck. And there was a lot of uncertainty about the costs and what would happen there. And I think it spent a little bit too long kind of overanalyzing what would happen when it should have just been more clear. Okay, this will get it here faster. This will make our process more streamlined to make it easier to do what we have to do. It should have just pulled the trigger. And so I think sometimes, obviously it's great to think through your situations and analyze. And then sometimes doing it to a little bit too much and not taking action can lead to not necessarily mistakes, but tougher challenges along the way. 
Definitely. I think that you can like overthink yourself to death. And I think that it's really important as a founder to make smart decisions and weigh the pros and cons, but to actually make those decisions, because ultimately, even if it's the wrong decision, you'll make a mistake, but you're going to learn that much quicker. So that was a great answer. So we have a lot of firsts going on here. Number one, we're recording in a coffee shop. I've never recorded in a coffee shop before. So if you guys are like, what is going on with the audio? That would be why. Number two, one interviewing in person and I'm interviewing Shark Tank founders, which is very cool. I've never had that opportunity before. And last but not least, I'm interviewing co-founders. I've never interviewed two people on a podcast. So let's talk about being co-founders. Have there been any challenges? Yeah. So Noah and I get along really well, which is great. We're really good friends in college. We're classmates as well. So I've known him since freshman year. So we were friends first, business kind of second. And that's always been the motto. Even till now, we've always prioritized our friendship over anything because we did this not out of the want to make a bunch of money, but out of the want of just to have fun and just to see what we can create. But times there definitely are a lot of challenges. We spend a lot of time together and that's a good thing. But at the same time, sometimes it can be like difficulties separate, like our personal and work life because at the end of the day there is no personal life in a sense our work life is our personal life we do this 24 7 and we love it but we're in it for the long run so no and i were kind of discussing this but i think for it to be sustainable in the long run i think there ha definitely has to be some level of separation but yeah we haven't really figured that out yet and right now it's not too much of a priority because things are going well and like i think we're a really good support system to each other but yeah that's definitely a challenge of when you spend so much time with one person and you're doing everything from personal life cooking eating everything together they're definitely i think will be challenges that arise in the future i don't think i have anything to add to that other than earlier like in my life like oh don't start a business with your friend that can cause trouble but honestly i think it's been great i think we didn't realize before this how much time this would take and how much energy so doing this with someone that you feel comfortable with and you enjoy spending your time with i think is really important so that's why i had a point right now like yuki said where we do everything together and we work together obviously there's challenges but it's great because we have so much fun and we love it and we have a great time working together and so i think that's really important yeah, and it's to say, I can't imagine doing this myself, genuinely. Like, I just don't think that I would be able to, not just like skills or anything, but just because of having someone else to lean on and rely on is really important because as I mentioned, entrepreneurship is lonely and you are in it for the long haul. It's not some year or two get rich scheme. A lot of misconceptions people have, and we do have a really long road ahead of us. We just got started. So we need to be like energized throughout it and to be motivated throughout it and think it's a lot easier when you have someone else there doing the same exact thing. I love that answer. That was great. Okay. So I feel like as co-founders, it's probably really important that you have skill sets that complement one another. So what do you bring to the table? What do you bring to the table? Tell me more. So I think because both Yuki and I are starting this so early in our career, it's not like we have necessarily different like contextual skills that we've developed over years of like a job because we're both coming this out of the same university program. But I think we've really kind of focused on developing our skills in different areas that complement each other really well. Something Yuki's gotten really good at a lot of his focus is on kind of the marketing and content generation as well as finance and something I've been really focused on growing my skills on is developing the product and the logistics and getting the business to run and getting the product out to the customers while Yuki's focused on getting in front of their faces and really promoting it to them and so we do everything together and we work on all the same projects side by side but we've tried to focus on really honing in on certain areas so that we can develop our skills that's awesome okay let's wrap this up where can people learn more about Pluffle so we are Pluffle.com 
plufl.com. That's we are plufl.com. More importantly, follow us on social media, TikTok, Instagram. We're about to document our entire journey of hand delivering puffles and bringing them to Canada. So that should be fun. Our videographer is coming in tonight. We're really excited about that. So yeah, that's really more important than anything is to just for people to be along our journey and see the ops, but also see the downs, which I'm sure there'll be a lot of both. So yeah, we're just excited to share our journey and we're just excited to be here in the first place. So awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. This is a great interview and I know that my audience is going to love this. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Served Need. I hope you enjoyed listening and found some tasty nuggets of marketing wisdom to help you take your brand to the next level. Remember, just like a perfectly crafted cocktail, marketing is all about finding the right balance and serving it up with a splash of creativity. So keep building, keep refining, and keep serving up your brand with style. And if you're thirsty for more insights, follow me on Instagram at neat.marketing for even more marketing tips and tricks. Be sure to subscribe and join us for our next episode of Served Neat. Until then, cheers. Cheers.